Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always, our Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about the DC comics that are released on November 6th, 2019. And first up on that list, and this is, this is a really interesting week of comics, and I, I have some sort of metatextual stuff to talk about at the end of the show about these week's comics, but we're going to start with Doom Patrol, Weight of the Worlds, number five. Uh, if you believe the cover, this is written by Gerard Way and illustrated by uh, Nick Patara. <laughs> However, that is not the case. This is an issue that is re- co-written and illustrated by Becky Cloonan, who, if you guys remember back all the way to the, before the series was announced, there was n- there was news that years ago, Gerard Way and Becky Cloonan had pitched a Doom Patrol book that did not get picked up. Um so this mm-hmm. is this is sort of a nice callback to that. Anyway, Cluden's co-writer on this is Michael Conrad, and this is a very I mean for a book that is incredibly meta, this is the most meta issue we've ever gotten of this book. <laughs> so let's talk about it, Zach. What'd you think? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. Why? Tell us why. Um. Well, uh, so it, I mean, it's essentially kind of a love letter to just Doom Patrol in general, uh, which is really weird coming at the fifth issue of a seven issue miniseries. Um, I, I, you know, I wonder if this was planned or if this was just to give way a little bit more leeway. Um, but, um, the premise is just really interesting. We have this kid in the real world. His last name is Clark. His first name is like hint. Like he, he tries to say it multiple times and he gets cut off. Do we, do we know who this is? Uh, I don't believe so. I also think that the character, I mean, I don't know if this is just my view of it. If the character is left particularly androgynous, I think they are referred to as he. Oh, are they? Okay, I didn't... Yeah, at one point, I'm pretty sure. I I don't mean Uh, that as a positive or a negative. I actually thought it was just kind of a, uh, you know, um, just like a a nice way to to include the reader into the book. You can put yourself in this character's shoes very easily. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, I, I do kind of agree with you that they are kind of androgynous because I... I actually thought that it, the character was female for a good part of the issue. Um, but then I, I do seem to remember like towards the end of the issue, um, they refer to Clark as he, um, but um, yeah, so Clark gets, uh, he, or he, um, so starts off, with this um, kind of like fun uh, meta game where uh, you know the, he uses Doom Patrol comics to make decisions by just kind of opening to a random page and pointing to a panel. Um, I love that because I also do that with Grant Morrison comics. <laughs> do you really? Do you really? No, I don't. But oh, well, you, know. you should. I should. I do that you with should. Joe the Barbarian. <laughs> okay. Yes. Good. Do it good. with Sea Guy. Um, <laughs> um, sea Guy. But um, Clark gets pulled into an issue of Doom Patrol, particularly uh, the current Young Animal run, 
Um, before that, um, we see the Morrison run specifically, I think. Um, mentions the um, the recent Vertigo collections of that series, which yes. are which are nice. Um, and Clark sees um, Dorothy Spinner. Is that the character's name? I believe so. Yeah, who is uh, currently dead. Um, I get the I I haven't read all of Morrison's Doom Patrol to my shame, but I got the impression that she died in that run. Um, that may not be right, but she she is dead. Um, and she's trying to find um trying to find robot man and and he robot man is doing some things in the kind of b plot um there's some great bits with him and danny um and then and then things go all screwy and meta and it's just it's just delightful um one of the most interesting things about this issue is that where clark is is sometime in the future long after the gerard way run of doom patrol has ended and apparently another run of doom patrol is is going on um so there's a little bit of omniscience going on there it's interesting what 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 did you i'm kind of just like rambling about this what did you guys (laughs) think clark at one point says like you're not going to believe what happens in the issue after next which is funny because that's when the book ends (laughs) yeah (laughs) um uh but you know th- this was a a delightful comic i really enjoyed it the best part of it i don't care what any of you say is home danny instead of home depot <laughs> yeah yeah that yeah good. love that so much uh no that this was really nice i i think that this is the type of comic that ma- that manages to be very self self-referential without sniffing its own farts and mm-hmm. that that is hard for people to do so I really enjoyed it for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. I think um, this isn't any criticism of the of the issue itself. I think I liked it a little less than what we had been getting solely because I was really invested in the goings on of the of the whole Doom Patrol team in its current iteration, you know, but. Certainly, this is not. Uh, I'm not trying to knock it. You know what I mean. Sure. I just think, I think like what had come before had been more interesting to me. Um, but I really enjoyed this. I thought the art was fantastic. Um, if listeners or if you guys haven't seen the the Doom Patrol kind of uh, process art from the original pitch that you mentioned at the start of this mm-hmm. some of that stuff is really great and interesting and uh it makes me wish we would have gotten those comics um as well but uh but yeah this was really nice and and um and i guess i liked you know even though it even though it didn't go along the same track as the stories that had come before i liked that this was a one-off and i liked that the way that it was executed in that way so um yeah de- definitely good yeah it's pretty hard to complain about becky clunan art oh it's oh, it's great one of my favorites it's gorgeous yeah yeah and i felt like it it did the thing that 
so many times a, a quote fill-in artist tries to do but fails, which is to do something unique but still feels a piece with the series as a whole. And this, when you think about it, she's the third artist on this run so far? Or fourth? Uh, uh, on this um, mini. Let's we, see. We got Harvey. We've had Sh- Harvey, Shaner, um, and one other one. Um, and uh, uh, Patara. Patara. Patara, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a testament to how good all four of those artists are that the book doesn't feel out of out of sorts for having had three separate art teams on it or four separate art teams on it yeah yeah and i will say this this idea kind of does go along with um the third issue of doom patrol which was an issue set in the future it was you know supposed to be like issue 170 or something of doom patrol Mm -hmm. yes sure um so i wonder if maybe that's what this run is doing maybe it's leading to some kind of like time skip or something i i kind of wonder where this is going because it didn't feel entirely like a throwaway to me no i don't think i i don't think throwaway is necessarily the right word but sure i guess like in terms of plot i mean necessarily you know Uh, it wasn't uh just like a filler thing sure okay so you you think there'll be some stealth? Maybe I don't tie-in. know. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe we'll do. Maybe the last issue of this is a time machine, and everyone who reads it gets teleported ten years into the future. Oh, I hope so. What what will we be teleported to? Can we be teleported ten years in the past so we can be talking about? Uh, I don't know. What, what's a really good album from two thousand nine? Uh. 2009? Yeah. 2009? Oh, boy. Uh, 808's Heartbreaks was... Uh, what? Uh, 808's Man in the Moon came out. What? Uh, 808's was 08. 08, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah.
according to uh, according to uh, what's his name? Who drew draws the book? Um, Gary Frank. Apparently, he's done. Oh, yeah. oh, ooh! You can't see, but I'm rubbing my nipples right now. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> You're wrong. I can't. I can't see it. <laughs> Vince, was that a basketball reference? No. Have you ever seen basketball? No. Yeah, I've seen it. At the end of the movie, Bob Costas goes, "You're excited. Feel these nipples." <laughs> uh, marvelous. Yes. Yes. All right. Any other Doom Patrol comments here? No, I like no. it a lot. Yes, a very good issue. And uh, one of the continued most enjoyable books at DC. Um, so now we're going to talk about a book that is sort of a continuation of a book that we all loved, which was The Green Lantern. This is Green Lantern Black Stars, number one, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Zermanico. And uh, I'm going to come out and say it, guys. I didn't really care for this issue. Zach, I want you to go. I I can see why you maybe wouldn't. And I can't really say that I liked it more necessarily or than any issue of the Green Lantern, but I I did like it though. I actually I think I liked it quite a bit still. Um, specifically just for that kind of like good Morrison. Just that good Morrison stuff. You know, the the imagery of the, the angels and the demons remaking Oa and all of the flowery language that goes along with that. The whole bit with Mongol. Just how grandiose it all is. Is I thought the art was, you know, if anybody's going to follow up Liam Sharp, I thought Zermanico did a really good job. It's a lot cleaner, but it still kind of favors in some ways. Maybe that's in the coloring. I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. As usual, <laughs> <laughs> I fall somewhere in between you guys. Um, the Zermanico art was fantastic. I think for for this pairing with Morrison and Green Lantern and the and the um, the kind of wavelength that he's on, I do prefer what Liam Sharp was doing. But Zermanico's not far off. I mean, some of these pages are just as weird as anything uh, Sharp did. That first double page spread where there's like the alien with the with the uh, fangs in their stomach. And uh, the weird, like, intestinal creature that just ends up being a mouth. Sexy Krang. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> uh, imagine what if Krang were kind of sexy with it. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I think Zermanico really – and I was a fan – like, Zermanico came out of nowhere for me on the Wonder Woman run. And – translates really well to, to this material as well. Um, so that part was fine. Um, I just think... Uh, I just... I don't know, I don't know how, to, how to... 
vocalize this, but like, I don't think they really nailed the ending of this issue when, when you find out that essentially, um, what's her name? Can't think of her name. Controller um, Moo's uh, daughter? Uh, I don't think she's... No, I don't think... Whatever his, you know, his, his second in command. The, the yes. vampire lady. Yes, yes, I can't think... Of, ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. But when they talk about, you know, uh, she and Hal have to get married, the, the world is being remade for in Controller Moo's... Uh, you know, to, to, to bending to his wishes or whatever. That's a really interesting idea. I don't really think it came across in the storytelling. I feel like the, the last couple pages landed with a thud to me when that should have been your like crescendo. And see, that was the only part of the issue I liked. Really? Yeah. See, I like the recruiting. I like the recruiting of the uh, like Mongol you know, breaking him down. And I liked the, them trying to get more black stars and uh, I, all the, the demons of Ysmalt, all yeah. that good, uh, Alan Moore stuff that John's also used. And yeah, for somebody who it doesn't going to, isn't going to have black star in his top 100 albums of the 2010s, <laughs> your love of the black oh stars God. is, uh, Inappropriate at best. <laughs> no, um, I just felt like this was, in every conceivable way, a worse version of the Green Lantern. I thought Morrison's well, script was not as sharp. I thought the art was not. And there's no knock on Zermanico. Zermanico's good artist. Liam Sharp is a is a, my preferred artist there. I felt that the the story did not have the same urgency or um, sort of zip to it that that. The Green Lantern had. I really felt like this was a lackluster, a lackluster comic in every way. Well, you know what I think? Maybe, um, I think this really comes down to, and I think we kind of said this a little bit when we talked about it, but maybe we're a little hesitant to, because we really liked it. But I do think that some of this does come down to the fact that the Green Lanterns or the Green Lantern didn't really stick its landing either. Um, That's true. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I, I didn't really, I liked the last issue, but the way it kind of ended didn't necessarily make a lot of sense or, or it was kind of like abrupt like thrust into this and we still don't really understand the ramifications and it kind of just gets going. Um, and I, I think that it does kind of suffer for that reason. Um, so yeah, it's still good, but it's just like not as good as it could be. I think. See, to, so some of the things that I really disliked about this, um, were, like I, I understand that it's laid out in a certain way so that you get various reveals as time goes by. Like you realize, like oh, that looks like John Stewart who's flying that ship. Oh wait, that is. It looks like Kilowog outside. Like you start to see other Green Lanterns pop up as part of the, as part of the Black Star's recruitment, right? And I feel like that could have been done in a more fun way. I feel like the stuff with with Mongol, and I'm I'm a fan of that character. 
I feel like that stuff was not necessarily done all that well either. I just feel like everything was slightly undercooked in this issue, and this very much feels like uh, we have to give Liam Sharp some time off to get ahead of the next one. So so let's do this this you know rather unimportant miniseries to buy him some time. Well, see, I just don't really understand why they wouldn't just take a few months off then if that was the case. I I think well, I th- first of all, I think comic publishers if if they intend on keeping a series going, if they take months off, they they lose you lose readers. You have people dropping subscriptions, you know. Plus, this gives them the opportunity to have two new number ones instead of just, you know, taking a couple months off and having one new number one. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I guess so. Um, I feel like Morrison is a pretty big name, though. And I guess the I guess the only other thing I really have to compare this to on the DC side is they did this with Supergirl. They did they take any months off for that, though? They took like three or four months off. They did. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. We thought Supergirl was canceled. I it, see. I feel okay. You're right. Wasn't. You're right. But I feel like that was unintentional on DC's part. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, where, whereas I think this was done with intention almost. Well, but, I mean, but they could have had just, you know, fill in arc there. They could have gotten anybody to do a three issue fill sure. in arc. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Why? Well, and I guess they did. That That is what this is. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I mean, look, it, it's I, not bad, right? I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm calling this a shitty comic. It's not. It's just part of it is that, as we said, the Green Lantern series, maybe minus the ending, was so satisfying for us that, that there's no way that this can't feel somewhat lesser than just by its nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just... Everything about this book just this seemed like I would not be surprised if if this was a book that had the credits at the end, if this was like a story by Grant Morrison, script by somebody else type book. Because mm. this to me did not feel like Morrison's best stuff. Mm. I don't know. I I I I don't. I felt like the dialogue and the the. The prose was good. It just, um, it, I think for me, it more just has to do with where the story is and where it's going. Um, I don't really feel connected to any of this Black Star business. So, and, and it is like ostensibly just kind of an alternate reality story, you know. Um, it's all going to get hand-waved away eventually, I assume. Maybe it won't. Morrison's good like that, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Any other comments to add to this, Vincey? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, let's talk... Well, actually, you know what? Let's take... we got to take a break here. So let's take a break now, and we'll be back in just a minute with our discussion of the infected King Shazam. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. 
Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with uh, The Infected King Shazam, number one. Um, is this the first of The Infected spinoffs, or have we seen these characters? Like, I'm a little bit behind on both Supergirl and Hawkman. Have we seen the infection take place in those books or no? So I think that the next issue of Supergirl is going to be an, an infected tie-in. Oh, okay. I'm pretty I'm sure pretty Gordon sure. is the only one we've seen for sure so okay. far. Okay. So this is written by Cena Grace and illustrated by Joe Bennett. This might be Cena Grace's first DC work. Hmm, good I question. I think you might be right. Uh, Cena is the uh, writer of Little Depressed Boy for Image and um, Shopaholic for Image and recently has, has gotten really good reviews for his Iceman book at Marvel and uh, Marvel has subsequently uh, fucked him over at every turn. So, uh, yeah. So, uh... so come to the open arms of DC where you are made to write the infected King Shazam. <laughs> Come to DC, where everything goes right every time. Uh, so Vince, you 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 started you went last last time. So what do you think about this uh, this issue? Okay, well uh, up front, let's just say that like this kind of falls in with the same sort of feel as the Tales from the Dark Multiverse stuff and and the general uh, Year of the Villain shit that has been going on for. What, four months now? If not more? It feels like a lifetime. Yeah. But, having said all that, and admitting that I'm, you know, kind of tired of this... Because how different is this, really, from the Tales of the Dark Multiverse thing? Like, the tone is so similar to all that stuff. Yes. It's just that this is taking place in the current continuity while those stories are taking place in alternate versions of dark dark multiverse versions of past events right yes um having said that i didn't dislike this i think i think the script is pretty good for for what it is i mean i basically it's uh billy batson's an asshole because of uh being infected and uh it ends up with a brawl basically between between heroes because he's bad Shazam. But, you know, as as not up my alley as that sounds, I think Cena Grace handled it pretty well. I think there's not a lot of cringe here, <laughs> if I can use the parlance of our times. And I think Joe Bennett... Joe Bennett is, like, sneakily one of my favorite artists recently uh as recently as the like deathstroke stuff that he did with priest but also um uh 
the Immortal Hulk stuff over at Marvel was fantastic. And this, this actually, this issue, this single issue is not far off from the Immortal Hulk stuff in tone and, and content. So I think he kind of knocks that out of the park. Um, I think if I have any criticism of this, it's just that this is more of the same tone and wavelength that we've been on. But I think it's one of the better examples for my money of the year of the villain stuff that we've gotten so far. And I like, I like it because I like that the Shazam family is involved again in the DCU and it's outside of John's stuff and they feel like they may be important again. Um, and I think that that's, that's good for DC. Um, he beats up Rao at one point, which is... Yeah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> no. That's wild, yeah. So, like, I, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate reading it. Like, I I, I thought, like, oh, shit, here we go again. You know, one, <laughs> and it really didn't end up being like that for me. Exactly. Um, but, it, but it do be like that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you thought. <laughs> Uh, um so this one just I, hit differently i don't know yeah, i mean that's fair i didn't i can't i guess i can't say that i hated it um i i think i i think i i guess the closest thing i can compare it to is the black adam issue from a couple weeks ago and i think i liked this less than that maybe um the things i did like about it are definitely the thing you mentioned about the shazam family being prominent in it mm-hmm. um I noticed that and and I think we had a conversation a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago or so about how, you know, detached Shazam still feels from the greater DCU because the family never shows up. Um, it's always just Shazam. And this is, I think, maybe the first time outside of the John's book that the family has been there. I may be wrong, but I think you're right about that. Yeah, I can't think of anything. And so that that felt special. Um Everything else about this book, like, I think, you know, not to knock Grace at all, because you you work with the hand that you've been dealt, and this was a terrible hand. Like, <laughs> I think this infected stuff is just the dumbest. I hate it. Um, <laughs> I just, like, oh, I hate it. Um, and so I just don't think... He didn't, he didn't know when to hold them versus when to fold them? Yeah, he yeah, he maybe you know, I know stuff looks bad at Marvel, but when DC is like, here, we'll give you an infected Shazam tie in that maybe that's when you say, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they should give him the Shazam book after uh, John's quit. Yeah, I mean, that would be fine. Um, and maybe honestly, Ben's like, what if that's what they're maybe oh, they baby. are? Maybe oh, they're doing that. Maybe that's don't. what this is. Uh, don't do that. Into. I could, I could actually see this. At least, maybe this is like a trial for that. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I mean, yeah, just like I, I think like the premise of you know having this dumb evil Billy go fight gods is kind of cool. I thought, you know, it was funny that he went and fought Thor. Um, <laughs> again, you know, another knock at Marvel. Maybe this is mm. something. Maybe you're onto something here. Um, mm. Honestly, that made me think like, oh, if if DC can use uh, Thor, which of course you know anybody could use Thor, 
how funny it would be if they like had a Thor character who is very prominent in the DCU, and very um, dumb or something. Just like, yeah, it'd just be so funny. the name of Thor. He's gonna yeah, have yeah. the same like personality as the Ultimate Thor. Oh snap! Uh, um, and then yeah, fighting Rao was super funny, but um, I thought he was gonna go around and try to fight like all the gods that were in his name. Yeah. Um, well, he couldn't find but, Hercules, so he went to right. Thor. They, he yep. ran out of pages to do that. Yeah. Um, I it, I guess the most interesting point, I guess, about this issue is it seems like he maybe infects Mary as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, that wouldn't be surprised if that's a theme that happens in all these books, or most of them. If they all that, spread their that, infection. Yeah, yep. So, um... I kind of like this. Um, I'm probably in between you two, as as per usual here. Um, but a couple of things I, I did want to say. So a, as the resident Shazam boy of the podcast, one of the things that was really great about the, uh, the Power of Shazam series that was written by uh, Jerry Ordway, illustrated mainly by Peter Krause, was that it established very early on that although Billy was the first Captain Marvel, that Mary was the better Captain Marvel, mm. that she was much wiser and much less impetuous and impulsive than he was. And so I I, I like a Mary story because it reminds me of, of that uh, run quite a bit. It turns out they're... Actually, I'm not, I'm not going to say that because I believe that's still unannounced. But um, yeah, anyway... Uh, Moving on. So, yeah, I, I like the Mary stuff. I um, I really enjoyed sort of, you know, I, I think it's always fun to write asshole version of a character. Just because you get to, you know, you get to, to do the things you don't get to normally do. And so this issue actually reminded me of the part of Superman 3 where he touches <laughs> that weird kryptonite and then just turns into a prick Superman for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh. so anything that reminds me of that... I, I am all for because that Ooh, is... I I, I had it. a joke I, I had a joke I didn't use about uh, Cena Grace just writing the Jeff Johns version of the the new fifty two version of Billy Batson for this. Oh, okay, snap. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's he was what like I was kind of a say. rude dude with attitude. Yeah, yeah that's I got, I was gonna say like the thing that I think is the like maybe least interesting about this is the fact that it's not been that long in this continuity that this was pretty much how Billy acted anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, oh. but, yeah. but I like that they moved away from that and, and now are returning to it in a way that's like, okay, he's infected. And that's why, you know, not like they're basically saying like, okay, the new 52 personality is not really what we want to do with Billy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I echo what you guys said about the Shazam family being around outside of of the Shazam book, I really want one of these characters on Teen Titans. Um, if I was running DC, that's what I would do. Um, yeah, and I thought the stuff like beating up Rao, beating up Thor, well, that's fine. I guess my my biggest my two biggest problems with this one is like Vince said, this just feels like the umpteenth time we've seen this type of story in the last few months. And I could do without these type of stories pretty much forever. And I didn't like the ending with him infecting Mary because it just feels like a cliffhanger that's not going to pay off. I'm sure we'll see that again, 
But if this was a, if this was part of an ongoing series where we we're gonna get an issue dedicated to Mary's change or whatever, that would be a really good thing. I would like to see that story told, but we're not gonna get that. We're gonna get like three panels of of Mary being a prick in the infected number one, along with the other characters that these people infect. Mm. You know, th- th- does that make sense to you, Vincey? Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah, that will be what happens, I think. Yeah, so you know, that bums me out a little bit too. But Joe Bennett is a guy that I think for a long time I just thought of him as generic fill in artist X or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that he's really I don't know if he's gotten significantly better or if I've just become more aware of, of how good he is. I think it's a little bit of both, and I also think I also think it depends on the fit. Like I don't think I don't think he's maybe well suited for like traditional superhero stuff. But for these darker takes and for something like Deathstroke, I think he's been a, a really good fit. I think I think for something like a you know like a traditional Superman book maybe not as or even a traditional Shazam book. Like I think he works on this because he's a little He's a little darker and gritty. He does he a does anger. Twisted. I mean, yeah, a little twisted. The 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 angry parts of his Hulk really are, you know, as frightening as a comic like that can get. You know, it's 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 really grim stuff, and uh, there's like a horror tinge to it, and a, a little bit of that comes through here. And I think you know the fit is good. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, the one thing I will say aesthetically is in the '90s. Again, I hate to keep being the guy back in the '90s, but they Gramps. Yeah, uh, don't don't call me the B word. <laughs> Boomer, man over fifty, Esiason is how we refer to him from now on. <laughs> as I said on Twitter earlier today, um, no, but they they took Mary's red costume and changed it to being a predominantly white costume. And it helped to differentiate her visually from Billy. And if you look at the rest of the family, no one is wearing a white costume. They all have these other colors. But Mary and Billy have the still of the same color. So you should give her the, the white costume back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just an aesthetic thing. But yeah, overall, I felt this issue was was fine for what it was. And I really hope that Cena Grace gets a better gig at DC next time. I think isn't he doing the Blue Beetle one as well? No, gonna make um, that up. Somebody else is doing that. The infected scarab. Dennis Hopeless is doing that. Ah, uh, okay. Another Marvel transplant. For yeah. some reason, I thought Grace had something else announced DC coming up too, but maybe maybe not. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, this is the only one I remember. So. Okay. I, I think that'd be great if if he did a Shazam yes. run after this. I think that's something that should happen. <laughs> well, I hope that when they do the 5G, that Freddie or Mary is the Shazam. Oh, 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 my, oh, oh, Maron. All right, well, that brings us to uh, Justice League number 35. This is another Legion of Doom-centric issue. 
Uh, this is written by James Tynion IV and Scott Snyder, illustrated by Francis Manipal, making his uh, his triumphant return to the pages of Justice League. Um, Zach, why don't you start us off with this? Um, so I thought this was issue was interesting because you bring out Manipul, I think, for the big issues usually, and this very much felt like a uh, setup issue, um, you know, in between the big events of the last issue and kind of just reestablishing the status quo and getting ready for kind of the last act. Um, maybe you guys will think differently, but I thought that this was a pretty low-key issue. Well, it does one very interesting thing, and that's that it wipes out one of the Earths of the multiverse. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. I mean, yeah, I guess that is big, but it's also just kind of, you know, set dressing for what is to come, which is wholesale destruction of the multiverse. Well, This feels very much like Prelude, I th think. That is, that is what has been teased, but I don't know if we're actually going to get that. No, I, but that's her. That's the plan though i mean that's sure. what like she, they're going for obviously. i that's... well keep going sorry well no you go ahead No, go ahead yeah i was just gonna say i almost think it is gonna happen i think because snyder has snyder has said basically from probably not from the very beginning of his justice league but i want to say like a couple few months into his justice league run that it, that everything ends in doom and the destruction of everything he has not been shy about just telling everybody that he says that in so many interviews i mean this isn't just one of those beans that he spills like he usually does with uh you know kind of like off the record mm -hmm. uh this is like something he has said and i know that that's like a writer pitching the stakes of the story but I would not be surprised at all if he zigs where you think he's going to zag and it actually ends up happening. And then the crisis is the thing that sets you back to the, the original status quo or your new status quo where everything's good again. Well, can I tell you what I think that new status quo is going to be? Sure. I think we're going to I think that this is going to be the end of the 52 multiverse. And it's going to be infinite Earths. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. it's basically the, the mirror image of crisis on infinite earths. Yep. We're going to be yep, left. I think with you're the, right. We're going to be left with the one earth leading to the multiple, as opposed to the multiple coming down to the one. Uh huh. Um, I just want to say it was earth 19. That is the one that was destroyed, which is the Victorian earth. Yeah, Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah, Gotham by which is which is one that they tend to go back to every now and then. Yeah, and so it's interesting that like you know I actually pulled out my multiversity guidebook for this, um, and I I'm surprised that there's not there are still those seven unknown Earths, or at least there were in the guidebook, uh, and then there are some of these Earths that you just never ever see used. Like it wouldn't have surprised me if they took out the. Um, Oh, what's that? The Darwin Cook Earth, Earth Twenty One, I think it is, mm -hmm. um, because that's that's very much. The, I could see them never telling another story in that, in that place. Yeah, Oof, um, I'm surprised they haven't. You know, um, 
instead of going with the one that they that they tend to. I mean, I thought my gaslight it was part of convergence. It's part of it's part of a lot of those type of events. So I'm a little surprised about that, but that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's not like this is the last time we will ever see it. No, no, no. And, and I guess it does. If you're going, if it was supposed to be the the warning bell that anything can happen here. This Earth being destroyed does feel more significant than insert random Earth here. Yeah. 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 So the only thing I don't like about your idea, Brian, and this is just purely like my taste, is that I love the multiversity and I love the multiversity guidebook and the map and I love the references to the map and I would hate to have that done away with. Because I think it's such a beautiful structure. Um, yeah. The Ori and yeah. everything that comes with that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we are actually kind of in the best of both worlds thing right now where we do have the multiversal structure that Morrison established and Hypertime, which is everything else, which is essentially Infinite Earth. So. I really don't know why you would want to mess with that. Yeah. Um, I almost wish <laughs> this is so stupid and this is like pedantic, but I almost wish like there was the, the prime map. And then there were like infinite maps going up and down, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like in layers. I'm like Kramer now from Seinfeld la- layers with stairs. Um, but yeah, uh, I wish they would do that because I would love to, I'd love to keep that map around. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, can I we'll just tell see. you guys the, um, the most bonkers bit of news you're going to hear today? Sure. So the film set for the Eternals, the Marvel film was just evacuated because they found a bomb on set, but the bomb is a leftover from when the Nazis occupied the base they're filming on. You're shitting me. I'm not. Oh my god. That's uh that's crazy. Yes. Was it uh I mean the, I, it's on one of the Canary I assume, Islands. I assume it wasn't an active bomb. I or would it could it still explode after all those years? I, I don't know. Uh Zach, what do you do with a bomb you with a nuclear bomb you find on an island? You bury it. Exactly. Uh, and then you blow it up, some... and then and then you blow it up to reset the timeline. Exactly. <laughs> yes. God. Sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> that is that is true. That is very true. Sorry. Back uh, to anyways, uh, punch Nazis. So yeah, exactly. That's the moral here. No. Um. So my favorite bit of this issue is that we got more Shane. Mm-hmm. Who's an issue? That was really nice emotional bit. Yes, and that's a character we just don't get enough of. Um, and so. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with Shane and uh, and Kendra, but I really like that scene with with Shane and Batman. I thought overall, like you know, like you said, Vince Snyder has been teasing this that this isn't going to have a traditionally happy ending, and this is going to lead into something much bigger and much darker. And I feel like there's a big part of me that when when a writer does that, you think, well, you know, I'll see that when I believe it. I, mean, I believe when I see it, you know, they'll say that, but everything's going to be fine. And Snyder's going down a line here 
where it seems like that's probably what's going to happen. You know, he's he's giving us very few very few exits that we can take here. And because his run on the book is wrapping up in just four more issues, it's it, it is really it seems like Doom is going to win this round. Mhm. Yeah, I was thinking today about how this run feels you know, so much shorter than his Batman run, but when it comes down to it, it's only going to be really 12 issues shorter. It's just happened on a much quicker pace. Yeah. And, and he also did not write all these issues. That's, that's true, but he was such a guiding hand in it. I, you know, I would almost oh, say, yeah. He, um, yeah. Yeah. And he, he, yeah. And he, I mean, he had some co-writers on his Batman issues too, but, the, but there are like straight up issues that Tynion wrote without him here. Yeah, but even still, no. He he's he's certainly the architect of this, or the yeah. Main, the I mean, like, architect. yeah, they work so closely that his influence is probably very strong, even on the ones that he's not credited on. Yeah. Um, I know that Capullo is going to be the the artist on his next thing, but I really like when Manipul illustrates. John's scripts. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good fit. I I also wanted to say John's quickly, scripts. I'm sorry, not John's scripts. Sn- Jesus Snyder? Christ, Snyder scripts. Yes, modern Johns, good Johns. <laughs> oh, um, <geez. laughs> uh, I did want to say I loved seeing the Dan Abnett Titans show up here for a minute. Yeah, yeah, that uh-huh. uh, was funny. It's almost like, hey, what have they been doing for the last year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Starring in a book in Brian's brain. Oh, man. <laughs> Again, I mean, I, I know we, like, beat this drum all the time, but it really makes you wonder how much this thing, this whole thing was padded out and whether or not Titans was supposed to be running concurrently with all this, and I don't know. Yeah. It's good to see Kyle though. It's good to see Kyle. It's good to see Miss Martian. We got we got the back of Natasha Steele's head <laughs> in one panel, so mm-hmm. there. Oh man, it just uh it makes uh it just makes me mad. It, it makes me wish I was like, wow, why can't we have that team as opposed to the the uh, the other the other thing that we have? Which yeah. other thing? You know, I don't want to say it. No, That's say mean. it. Say it. Uh, the <laughs> the say other, it. the other Dan Abnett written book right now that we have that I don't read. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's too fucked up, too raw. I <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, any other Justice League comments before we get to the the, the big daddy of the week? Mm-mm. No, but you mentioned some five G stuff that I am gonna want to talk about when we talk about this next book. <laughs> Okay, well, let's dig into this next book then. Legion of Superheroes, number one, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ryan Sook. Um, Zach, since you want to talk, go ahead, buddy. Well, do you want me to like go all in, or should I talk about the book a little bit first? Talk about the book first. Because there's like a very niche thing I want to talk about. <laughs> well, talk about the book uh, first. Okay. Uh, the book is good, man. Who would have ever thought we would have had 20 ish pages of ryan sook <laughs> legion of superhero art um I love it. it might be the last 20 we get 
<laughs> it might be. It might be. It's very good. Um, really, I don't have like a lot of like macro things to say about this issue. Surprisingly, I have a lot of like weird micro things to say. One, um, it's like a running thing in uh, Legion of Superhero comics that all you know, whenever all the characters show up, they have their names like on in little boxes that like pop off off of them and. Maybe this has been a thing before, but I I don't recall it ever being explained in story that it's just like some kind of technology that they have that all their name tags just pop up. I thought I don't that believe was really so. funny and cute. Um, um, I liked the up up and away or not up up and away uh, up in the, the sky. It's a bird plane. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that gag was good. Um, I. I thought that this was maybe not the strongest way to start the series or maybe not the way I would have started it. But I think I think having the kind of two running plots of John coming to the future and then this subplot with Aquaman's trident being found by some of the Legionnaires was interesting. Um I, I maybe wish it was a little bit longer. You know, maybe I'm spoiled now by the rollout of, you know, the Hickman X books where we have all these oversized issues and every new book is oversized and everything. And this is just, a, you know, paltry 20 pages. Um, but it, it was good. I guess it was more than 20 because there are a lot of double page spreads, but it just it felt a little short. Um, you guys talk before I get into my really pedantic thing. <laughs> All right. The, the one thing, the couple things I wanted to say is the centering it around Aquaman's trident reminds me of how the last pre New 52 run began with a Green Lantern ring showing up. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it just, it, it's, I don't think it's a bad idea to tether the Legion to the, mo to modern times for fans who maybe, aren't as apt to jump all in to a book featuring 30 characters they don't know. So I think that that's, that is a wise thing to do, but it did feel a little redundant from that that Paul Levitt's run. Um, but overall, I thought this issue did a good job of introducing a few key members. Like we get Karate Kid, um, Wildfire, and Starboy together, and it's, it broke them off in a very sort of, logical and, and easy way uh who's the fourth member with them in that in that first sequence oh um there's which ones did you say there's there's karate kid starboy wildfire and um the one, the one who like gets the trident yeah that is um ultra boy ultra boy yeah sure uh, i don't think they said his name as clearly um which is funny based on what we talked about before with the, the names popping up. But I, I think that yeah. if Bendis can find convenient ways to split off characters like this, it makes it really interesting. Um, so I like that. I'll also say I liked seeing uh, Rose try and talk to John quickly, and then he's gone. Because we saw at the end of the, of the Millennium series, she basically says, like, my name is Rose, and I have something I need to tell you. And we and we don't find out what that thing is. And then here we see something similar where she says, you know, I need to talk to you, my name is Rose, and then he's gone. So I wonder for how long Bendis can can play out um, you know, this particular gag. Um, 
Because if we know, you know, if, if Bendis is good at anything, it, it is decompressing things and keeping things going longer than he probably has to. But I, so far, I'm enjoying the waiting around for this. Um, and my last comment before passing over to Vince is just that there are a couple of places in this issue that really do suffer from Bendis dialogue. Just a lot of repeating things and asking questions that just lead to a this, a that, a this, a that type type conversations. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, I I did really enjoy this issue. I think this is a relatively accessible first issue for a relatively inaccessible property. Yeah, I think I I agree with that. Um, and I think it comes down to, for me, the diversity of the team or of the, the Legion as a whole, uh, because not only, you know, traditionally when you think about the Legion, it's a, it's a lot of, uh, like white kids, right? Yep. <laughs> and now, uh, Bendis and Sook's Legion, that double page spread of the Horaz like descending on them to get the Trident back just showcases like how much diversity there is on the team. And, you know, a lot of that comes down to race and skin color, which is great. That's that's the most important thing. But also just I think a thing that the Legion has suffered in the past is that there's there was usually a big focus on a lot of characters that look very similar. Again, because they are like white kids, but also just because they are humanoid, you know, mm-hmm. um, the Legion has always had like, you know, maybe one or two characters that don't look humanoid tagging along sometimes but this legion is full of them so there's a lot more diverse looks to grasp onto uh gives the team a little more character makes them a little more similar to the x-men the x-men comparisons make a little more sense i think when you look at them in this light um and i think like i hope people buy in because so far it's been great and and I would love to see a thriving legion again that tries something different instead of trying to recapture the same I feel like every time we've had legion reboots before uh, at least modern ones like new the new 52 or whatever it's always trying to do the thing that came before and I, I'd like to them to do something a little different and I feel like Bendis and Sook really are and I think Sook's Art is so fantastic. I think the designs are great. Um, it's so pretty to look at. Every character is interesting to look at. Um, man, I loved this issue up until the last page, <laughs> which to me almost seemed unfinished. Did you guys yeah, get like... I, <laughs> yes, I there, there's definitely yeah. a dangling line there that I don't know what was supposed to go there. Yeah, which it's, doesn't it's like... a complete front affront to everything we've been to be continued. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that is not, you know, you you clip a line like that where the villainess there is going to like either interrupt the character or they're clearly going to say something that is some maybe big re- revelation that you're saving for the next issue. And it's neither of the <laughs> of those things. Yeah. I almost feel like there's a dialogue box missing above her head where she's supposed to be cutting that character off, right? And, because and I, I guess we'll see that in a couple of days when the book actually comes out. Yeah, maybe this yeah. maybe this was a, a mistake or something, but 
that last page, I'm just like, is this like really? Is there something I'm missing? Am I? Are, are we supposed to know who that character is? By the way, it almost. I, know. Looks, I don't know who the character is. So I don't, no, I don't think so. It almost looks like a controller, like because the controllers are traditionally pink skinned. They have the pointy ears. Well, it looks a little bit like Leonard Nimoy to me. <laughs> yeah, actually, it does. Yeah. <laughs> okay all right it's share um yeah no uh so anyway yeah the last page kind of like <laughs> landed with a thud maybe that was a mistake maybe not but i i the rest of this issue i just drank up it's fantastic um and i think i i actually think it's mostly due to sook um, I mean, his work is just so good. Yeah. It's it's such a good fit for a youthful, diverse team like this. Lots lots of, of thought clearly went into all these designs. Oh, so good. All right. So, Are so you guys that, ready for me to get tinfoil yes. on yeah, you? Yeah, get, okay. get, get nutty with it. And okay. Ryan, you said something at the top of the show, too, that you... You had an overarching thought about this week of comics, which I don't want you to forget about either. Okay, thank so. you. Thank you, yeah. All right, yeah. Zach, Zach, get nutty with it. Okay, so first I'm going to refer to a CBR exclusive um, from June. Um, Is talking it, these about... are all the names of Superman? No. <laughs> no. Um, ten, ten new Legionnaires we like and five we could live without. Yeah. No, no. It's um, The title of the article is Why Moving DC's Legion to the 32nd Century Actually Matters. Oh, I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. It says pretty clearly on the cover of this issue that it's the 31st century. Yes. And it's been referred to as the 31st century in Bendis' Superman comics. So it seems like something has changed. Then you go to that last page and it says the son of the original Superman from the 20th century is here. Uh-huh. I saw that too. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could imagine that DC with its floating timeline that, yeah, at some point Superman was active in the 20th century. But it's a weird way to put it, considering well, that. Well, hang on. Let, let's try and do some some quick back of the napkin math here. How old do we think Clark Kent is in DC continuity? He's got to probably be in his like mid thirties. So let's say he's my age. Okay, I'm thirty seven. Just just because yeah. I I it's easy for me to do math around my own age. So I was eighteen in two thousand. So if 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 he was ever Superboy. In this continuity, he would have been active in the 20th century, but he certainly would have been born in the 20th century. Yeah, but he probably wouldn't. I mean, we know. Well, I guess we don't really know. He, he would he would have lived in the 20th century, but he would have spent the majority of his life in the 21st century. He would have been. I would think more associated with the 21st century. But don't and you also say like from it, the it, standpoint from this book and how Legion has always operated. You refer to the century that the book is coming out in. Like, that's just kind of typically how it's always been. Sure. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is I think sometimes, like, so uh, I I grew up knowing two of my great-grandmothers that were born in the 1800s. And I feel like 
that was like the first thing anybody said about them. Like they're from the 19th century because it was just it was yeah, it was but... notable. And so I know this isn't the exact same thing as that, but I could see that being the way Superman is introduced. But... But I don't think that Bendis is thinking that way. I feel like this is very intentional. And I, my whole point is I think that oh. the 31st century thing, it, I think that that signifies that some ideas have changed and that this is maybe setting up the timeline thing. Well, mm. you know what I just that thought of though, Zach? What? Is that they call him the son of the 20th century Superman, because technically he's the son of the pre-Flashpoint Superman. Like John was introduced specifically as the well, child of the pre-Flashpoint Superman, and I know Superman that's Reborn even more fucked up than that's. But I know Superman Reborn like condensed all of that. But that's where John comes from. And if you have a yeah, but but like but that all is like now because of Reborn, like not like they wouldn't necessarily know that. Like, but I feel like mm-hmm. hasn't the Legion always been? always taken a yeah, wider but, view of things and pointed no, out I mean, continuity stuff like no, even like even no like, not necessarily but like okay so in in the fr- in i the, mean they just talk about that like that time is kind of fluid but like they are always interacting with a like specific point in time and referencing that but here's like, what i'll the say Legion like, is- in in the first issue of the new 52 legion the word flashpoint is mentioned yeah yeah they say they can't like go like the flashpoint effect or something but like that is like that's just tied to current continuity i mean like that they always refer back to whatever is going on at that time it's not like they're saying like oh you know earth something or other you know they always are based in the the current earth Mm. essentially Um, i think you're right like i think Oh, go ahead. I, I think this does set up the timeline because I think what you're going to see is you're going to see on the timeline they're going to somehow maintain the Superman stories where he's Superboy visiting the the Legion, and that's going to be 20th century shit. Yeah, that's like you're, I, yeah, I think you're right. They may like, not. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I almost wonder if like they are going to even go as so far as to like say um maybe this is a stretch but like that the stories that are happening now are not in like, like our current time like once this all shakes out like the 2020 stories will be the 5G and it will be retroactively stretched to like the things that are happening now are happening in the like late 90s or something or uh, early, early aughts yeah i don't know about that but but, well, yeah. I'm see. I'm buying into like I think that this timeline thing may actually end up being like a year for year thing. See, Ooh, I still that would, think, that would be I dicey. Think, I don't think I, 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 I think I I think I could see it happening because especially since we saw that leak from Dan DiDio's office this week, and at the top it specifically says like twenty five years at the top, sure, or twenty years. The problem with that, and of course I'm being I'm being way too literal with it, and this is not the this is not in any way how I would approach reading comics, but there's gonna be a comic from like five years ago that references Lady Gaga or something. Sure, <laughs> that would make sure, zero but like, sense. but I don't think that like anybody really cares about that. Oh, 
the people in the comments at Bleeding Cool do. Well, yeah, I yeah, don't, but I mean, but, the but I mean, do. like, yeah, but I mean, like, Marvel deals with that now too, and I mean, they have their like floating timeline even more so than DC really does. But like, you go back and read a Marvel comic from twenty years ago that references, you know, in sync or something, and then in their yeah. floating timeline, it's supposed to have happened like four years ago but for some reason nobody uh knocks marvel for that but everybody mocks dc for like constantly trying to figure out the i that's guess the part, that's no. the part that gets me I mean, like it's the thing like i don't think it's something that's gonna last very long but i could see that being the status quo for like maybe five to ten years you know the same way we have been dealing with like the 52 earths since 52 happened like uh-huh. i could see us entering to this new phase where dc is like okay we're gonna work off of a fixed timeline because it's not something that i think can last for a long time unless they want to go full all in on it and like have everyone continue to age in real time but i could see them doing it for a short period of time and see i still think that the timeline is less about years and more about acting as the official canon of DC Comics. Yeah. Of saying these I, I, things I know happen you do, but in I, this order. I know you do, but I feel like I, I saw this and I thought, oh, this could be that. Yeah. Can I say the one thing? And maybe you can answer this question for me. Maybe I'm not thinking of something because you're. I'm, I'm trying to think about it while we're doing the podcast here. So if I'm missing something, just let me know. But I don't understand then why they would have had to change it back to 31st, 31st century when Bendis was going to make this the 32nd. And then, well, go, go for it. What were you going to say? Um, I was going to say, I really don't know. I like, I don't know why I even in that bleeding pool article. I don't really, even, I mean, that CBR article, I don't know if they like make a good point about why <gasps> it being oh. in the 32nd century is important. Um, but I think that like keeping it in the 31st century highlights if they are like going off the timeline and wanting to keep it a thousand years in the future. I, I don't know. It, in some weird way, it like makes sense to me that they'd want to do that. I don't. I don't think it's like necessarily. I, I think I'm using it more just to as a as a like indicator that something has changed between when that article yeah was published and what we actually have. Maybe it's because they were originally planning on having the 31st century stuff be one thing, where. Superman visited them as Superboy, and then the 32nd century was going to be John's thing. They were going to keep those very distinct, even if they used some of the same designations for Legionnaires. Sure. So they were gonna they were gonna keep those two timelines distinct, and then something happened, which we saw in Doomsday Clock, that erased what happened in the, the what was going to happen in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Which erased point. the original Saturn Girl. Oh, see that—that that, that is that interesting. Could be the thing. Yeah, that could be. That's a good point. And yeah. they just—and that's why Didio said when he brought up the timeline that we don't know what the future holds, but the past is set in stone. Which is the same thing that was said in Doomsday Clock by. Was it Vite? Vite. I, sa- I believe Vite says that. Yes. Yeah, Vite says the the past is set in stone, but the future is 
dissolved or something like that. And I think that's it. That's the change that they had one plan to keep the two future legions separate. And now for continuity's sake, because of doomsday clock and because of their timeline idea, they've wiped that out in for the future and are letting Bendis establish that future. Oddly enough. Yeah, I think you're on to something. I, I think it's all just very weird. I think that it, in like any time you date anything, it is weird. And I think it's really weird now that we're, you know, 20 years in, into the 21st century to still be calling back to the 20th century, because that's like, if you go back and read, you know, 90s Legion comics, that's, they're like, oh, back in the 20th century. And at that point, the Legion was in the 30th century. And then at the turn of the millennium, everything went to 21st and 31st. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I just, I thought that that was, very noticeable and it felt for that reason purposeful i mean i definitely understand what you're saying i guess i'm just still having a hard time buying the literal nature of the uh, of the timeline and so if if you don't buy into the literal nature of the timeline none of the other stuff matters quite as much sure yeah. And sure. see, I don't I don't think they are going to try to do a um like a real time uh sort of status quo at all because then they wouldn't be able to do their six issue arcs cuz all of a sudden if it's if that's half a year or um you know, 3 months if it's a bi bi-monthly type thing you're already running, but you're saying that one story took half of a year, you know, you already run into trouble. So I don't think they can do that. I don't think you'd ever be able to accomplish that. Unless you take, unless you just say time passes between arcs. Yeah. If you're constantly doing time skips. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. I would love that, but I don't think they're going to do that because it involves too much uh, dicking around and, and and then how would you get the other books to line up too? You know what I mean? I, uh, I mean, I think me. comics already kind of does this. Like, it's not like we just assume that every story runs right into each other. Like, no, it's not uh, like no, of course not. But it's going to be much harder. Like, so if so, let's say that that Zach, you're right, and that starting in 2021, comics are happening in real time. Well, I say like real time, like like in the way that Hellblazer ran in real time for. Sure. Okay. But 15 so, years, so you know, but it's never, I mean, that really yeah, does like not, yeah. yeah. Like not like hard, fast, not like 52, right, like because, where it's dated. Because what I was like, going to say is like the, the trouble with that is then if you have a Superman book, but Superman is also in justice league and he's guest starring in Batman that month, there's going to be so many editor's well, boxes that this takes place before uh, this. And after that, I don't know. No, I don't think they have to do any of that stuff either because like, I mean really like rebirth and new 52 kind of ran in real time a little bit too. Like they kind of more or less, I, I can't pull out specific examples, but I know I've seen like lines of dialogue that reference like, Oh, such and such thing happened so many years ago. And it's a, Roughly add, comes around to how long it's been since that event happened. So then, so then, comics don't fundamentally change because that's how they work already. Yeah. But, but the the thing that always throws a wrench in that 
is nobody aging. Well, see, that's why I said I don't think it would last more than like five to ten years. Ah, but then what do you do? Then what do you do? Then they just reboot it again. Ah, Jesus. Like, that's just comics. Like, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, but it's not. That's a little different then, because how is that? How is that different? Why can't they just do another new 52 and make everybody 20 years old again? Oh, because that's what they'll do. Well, yeah, that sucks. (laughs) But like, when does that ever stop them? They could. But, you know, that that's not. Oh, man. Why? I mean, they have to do that forever, though. Like, they are going to have to keep pushing. Like, it's going to be a cycle. We've already seen it. Like, they made Superman 20 years old, and now he's a grown man with a wife and kid. And then they'll do it again and make uh, him they don't not have, have that. Yeah, they, they don't have, have to, to do, do. They don't have to do that because they could do what Marvel does, which is not address that at all. No, Marvel but never. They do that, but they won't do that. <laughs> Marvel ages Peter Parker uh, a year, like every twenty years or something. You every, know, every ten years he ages a year, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but uh, he has also lost his wife. His wife. <laughs> his wife. I mean, like Marvel does it too. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yes, they they do, and they, like I said earlier, they don't get flack for it. But it's oh, because I think they got flack for that. But... Well, they got flack for that one. But I mean, the timeline stuff in general, they don't. Yeah. Everybody yeah. Pretends... Well, because they ultimately handle it a lot better, sort of. Although, I don't know if you guys saw that thing about, like, in the Marvel history book that's coming out. Um, Mark Wade created, like, a fake Asian conflict mm. to, to stand in for Vietnam, I think. Mm. Oh boy! No, um, for the sliding yeah. for the sliding timeline to work. <laughs> see, that's nope, nope. It was much. That's see, that's they're screwing up because it was so much better when they just said that. Um, that uh, what's his name? I can't. I think of his name. Venom. Uh, fought fought in a different war, you know. Sure, but, sure. Or, or like or like Frank. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of the Flash Thompson. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. Venom run had him fighting in a different war than he originally did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right, or yeah. yeah, Frank. Yep. Yeah. Just just say it was a different war. Don't ever worry about just go forward, you know? Yeah. It's just uh, it's so hard to keep track of, of all of this continuity bullshit. And I think that the the easiest way like what we're DC nerds. We love this continuity bullshit, right? But a lot of people get very get very frustrated by it. And so I think that the Marvel method allows you to not get so bogged down in that. But I also think that most people consider the Marvel continuity inferior in some ways to the DC continuity because there aren't the weird nuances that are there. Yeah. Well, I do. Th- I think that like it is so weird how so much so much of this comes down to war, um, <laughs> and like time. Like the JSA is war. still from World War Two. Yeah, and like how Punisher is like. I was he Vietnam? He was, was that Vietnam, his? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like how closely tied to that he is, but like, I think that like DC does kind of have like a reckoning here because like they have kind of waffled on JSA a lot over the you know last few years and like tried some like creative and quirky and sometimes dumb ways to make them be usable and 
in the modern day, but also still like keep their World War II heritage. And I like that's only going to become more and more difficult unless they just like either a move them to a different war or b say, yeah, all, all this happened in some loose timeline well like so right before zero hour so the jsa went away after crisis right when when they came back before zero hour it was like oh they've been fighting essentially in limbo for all this time right and then being in limbo imbued them with this power to stay young well that's what i mean about like silly comic yeah. book explanation oh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. reinforcing how silly that explanation was yeah and then yeah. basically yeah, all exactly. the jsa yeah. had that taken away from them except alan scott right um but i think like i mean that was 20 years ago almost yeah at least 20 going on 30 mm-hmm. um and that's only going to get more difficult as time goes on. So it's like, if they want to use these characters, they kind of have to make a decision on how they're going to use them. Um, That's true. Yeah. They, they got to establish that, I guess. I mean, I guess they, I guess they feel like they have to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, for all these reasons. So I don't know. We'll see. I've, I'm kind of like, when do you think they're going to announce this timeline thing? So the, the rumor if you believe Rich, Uncle Rich, is that the last week of... So in 2019, Christmas falls on a Wednesday. So the 26th will be the last comics release day, which will be a Thursday. And then apparently there is a, quote, secret DC book coming out that week. Oh, you're right. secret DC books, perhaps, even. And so even even, even. <laughs> and so I could see there being like because that that will be the week after Doomsday Clock, Justice League, and there's one other book coming out that week. Is um, it? Huh? Oh, it's the it's the villains. Uh, the the hell hell hellraiser pinhead the hellraiser yeah yeah. Um, and so I could see, I could see it potentially coming out in a book that week, or I could see it being at the end of Doomsday Clock. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, as like yeah. bonus back matter for Doomsday Clock. Oh baby, yeah, Just put I could see it. Veins. I could yeah. see it. Um, we're gonna be we're gonna be like texting one another around Christmas, just yeah. like hashing this all out. Um, I also think that. So, so the 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 Snyder JLA the Justice League run wraps up in January, and I think you're gonna start to see in February or March like a the road to you know metal crisis whatever it's gonna be called um, <laughs> you know events, and I think that this summer we're gonna see that. So I don't actually think we're gonna see the five G stuff until the yeah. end of next year, if not the beginning of 2021. I I totally agree, Brian. I could to- I could definitely see, um, you know, I could even maybe see, like you said, like a road to crisis book or a road to something book coming out that last week in December, and it only has like the first four time and jo- timelines, and then it's like, and then in twenty 
20 or 2021 uh 5g um you know i could definitely see that oh baby oh (laughs) yeah i love doing this with you guys yeah me too (laughs) so the, the, the thing i wanted to say at the beginning of the show um First, I'm going to do the list, and then I'm going to get to that, because it's tied into the list. Okay. So on the good list this week, we have Deathstroke, Harley Quinn, Lois Lane, and Young Justice. On the okay list, we have Batman and Wonder Twins. On the Sandman Universe list, we have The Dreaming. On the formerly a 12-issue maxi-series list, we have Inferior 5. In case you guys didn't hear, that's down to six issues. And on the Walmart list, we have Batman Universe and Batman Up in the Sky. So Superman. I'm sorry, Superman Up in the Sky, yes. Um... So as I was going through the comics today and looking at the titles and doing all this, I realized that if you had told us, like specifically the three of us, when we started doing this like five years ago, this the column, the DC3, like, all right, so in five years, you're going to have a Legion book. You're going to have a Grant Morrison written Green Lantern book. You're going to have Doom Patrol be a Lois Lane book, Wonder Twins. There's going to be a whole Sandman like subset here of comics. Uh, there's going to be Batman and Superman stories that are out of continuity but are written by top creators and illustrated by top artists. They're going to be an attempt to, to bring in a new fan base to DC Comics. You're going to have a callback to the Invasion storyline of the mid-80s. Um... Like, if you just laid out all of this stuff for us, we'd have been so over the moon happy about it. And I wonder if we have just become so jaded to all of this that we're not over the moon happy about it. Or if DC has bungled this in some way and so we're not over the moon happy about it. Or if it's been so incremental, we just don't realize what we have right now. Here's the thing. I think we like a lot of what you just said. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's the and I think that comes across in the show. Like the books that we cover on the show, we tend to be positive about. Um Tom King Batman aside, you know. There's other books we certainly haven't liked along the way, that's for sure. Um but I think more than half of the books we talk about, we talk about because we liked them and we're excited to talk about them. And I think, uh, I think it's the it's kind of the day to day, the week to week, month to month comics that come out that are ordinary, like Detective, um, you know, just some of the some of the doldrums comics that that there's nothing exceptional about them on their face, that kind of have us down when we're trying to cram all these into a week, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think I think the four or five books that we choose to talk about every week, for the most part, we find a lot to like and a lot to praise about them. You know, we've loved the Bendis stuff. We like the Green Lantern sure. stuff. I, like I don't think we don't like enough stuff. I just don't know if we recognize how historically significant all this is. Mm. I think you can say that about any era of DC Com. I think the DCU era was similar but that was like six books that were introduced in the middle of a shitstorm. sure yeah i mean but there were some really good uh like shifts among the ongoing books in that time too though it was yeah. a, like it was a weird time yeah uh, but I, I, I don't think 
keep going, Zach. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say I would maybe I would say maybe rather than like the DCEU time, maybe like looking at and like this is just like <laughs> just like the most typical thing for me to say, but like you know, oh five to oh ten DC. Mm-hmm. which had like everything you know it was john's at his height it was morrison on batman it was um you know we had a we had legion books we had doom patrol books we had um just crazy stuff going off all the time you know um i i would say that this is maybe the closest to that we've had since then and it does feel special in that way um, but I also like, you know, I, I, I don't feel like it's until um, you are removed from a time period and you can look back and see it all as it happened and then really judge it. It's really hard to like feel that way about something while it's happening, at least for me. Yeah. I mean, I think I think in any given era of DC or Marvel, there's like 10 to 12 books that are that are good and worth reading, you know, and I think. I think that was even true of the New 52. Even if the overall tenor of the New 52 was a negative one or, or or we think, you know, less fondly about that era, there were like 10 to 15 great books that happened during the New 52, you know? Um, I think right now, like the overall arc of everything is probably better than it was during the New 52. But there's still just like, about 10 or 12 books that I would say are must reads, you know, I don't think we really, I don't think we, I don't think there's a lack of appreciation on our part. Um, I think, I think it's, it is as it's always been. I I think we get bummed out reading, like trying to figure out what we're going to talk about when there's not a new, uh, uh, like a, like five new issues of things. Because we want to talk about the new stuff, you know. But I think these comics are as solid as as ever. I think it's all. I think it's always the same. Yeah, I definitely I, do. Oh, go ahead, Brian. I, I don't. I don't think you're wrong. I just think that there's a difference between what we're talking about. Maybe the difference between. I maybe I didn't explain myself well. I feel like I'm not talking necessarily quality, although. Obviously, quality is important. I'm talking more about the diversity of the of the books being published. Yeah, that, that, that we have one of the more diverse. Because I mean, like we all of us tend to hold up different eras as being like super important to us, you know. But I think that's sort of the areas that we all agree on. I think we could all agree the like 2008, like the Blackest Night era. Is, is a high point for a lot of us, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, the the uh, the late 2000s, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, leading up to, like, Infinite Crisis is, is a high point for us. And I think part of what makes those eras so special for us is that there were a wider variety of titles. And I don't mean more titles. I mean a wider variety of titles. And there were, like, you know... Vince, you and I have talked a lot yeah. about, about like the Marcus Toe Red Robin era, mm-hmm. and how like that's a sm- that's a smallish book that was great, and I feel like now we have more books that represent. Like I feel like this is the first time since before Flashpoint that we have this diverse of a, 
of a pool of books to talk about every month. Yeah, I think you get it in different forms because I think back then you still had some Vertigo stuff and that even though that's gone, that's essentially the Sandman universe stuff or the young animal stuff. Like things take things replace one another, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I I mean you're you're not wrong, but I also think like Like an example, like saying that Grant Morrison on Green Lantern. Well, you know, a few years ago we had Grant Morrison's Multiversity that just kind of popped up in the middle of everything else that was going on in the DCU and did its thing. And before that, it was his action comics or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. like that's just saying Grant Morrison's writing a book. You know, that's always a momentous occasion, well, but it, it's uh, happened in every era. I mean, but I'll push back against that slightly. I, I think that for all of us, I mean, you have a fucking Green Lantern tattoo, Vince. Like, I think Green Lantern has. Oh, we've Im- talked about we've talked about Morrison writing Green Lantern since we started this whole thing. Exactly, like, we've wanted that forever. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, and it's wasn't it the number two book on my list on my top ten? Is that what I said? It yeah. was. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, so I'm. <laughs> I'm not arguing that. What I'm just saying is that, like, when you when taking the totality of all of this, I just think that we're in. I think oftentimes well, took the totality. Uh, fucking hilarious. Uh, I think sometimes we do, you don't realize you're in the golden age when you're in it. One hundred percent. Yeah, and, I and agree I, that. And I, I think that, that we might be in a golden age of DC. In in not in all regards, obviously, but in some regards. And you we're going to look so. back five years now and say, like, holy shit, 2019, when Bendis just came over and was launching Legion and Morrison was doing Green Lantern, mm. like, that was that was a good era. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, it's a I good will, era. I don't know about Golden Age. I'll say, like, for me, I think that the way that we consume this, for better or worse, is going to always negatively affect how I perceive it. Um, yeah. You're right, but I I have to also say, right before Flashpoint, I was buying most books and re- I was 80, 80, <laughs> 85%. <laughs> See, I I I could I mean like I was reading like everything that John's put out Morrison and and I mean maybe like a handful of other things and that was like more than I could have more than I really could afford to um and I'm it not is saying like I could great. afford this. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it is like I, I like now can and I can read whatever I want, but I also don't look forward to it in the same way either. Um, sure. And not, I mean, like the Hickman X books has like called that into like like made that very visible to me because I read those books the way I used to read comics now. Yes. So, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's can I, okay. Can I be bold here? Sure. If DC plays their cards, right. The next, whatever, whatever comes with this oncoming crisis or whatever, the next era could be the golden era. To build off to build off of all this stuff, because I, I don't think this is quite golden yet. This is great, a lot of it's great, but this five G thing, like if they play their cards right and if they stick to it and piss off the right people, 
that could be the next great thing because that would be, you know, if Cena Grace is somebody that you bring into the loop, if you get like NK Jemison doing some more stuff beyond far sector or, or tying that care, you know, if you build off of a lot of the stuff that's happening right now, that, that could be something that I see myself going all in on. That's see, just the Pollyanna in me. <laughs> yeah, but and, and I'm not trying to, 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 you know, uh, to shit in your cereal here, but I just feel like it's very easy to say the next one could be, could be the best one. I think that's what, yeah, that's what we always say in comics, I guess. Yeah, and, and we could literally, I mean, I remember, you know, convincing myself briefly that the New 52 was going to be this incredible thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think all of us felt like, you know, you can, if you get a persuasive enough salesman, you can be convinced that continuity is bad. And then it's better if we just get rid of continuity and we start fresh. And, you know... That's essentially what the New 52's pitch was, you know, is we're going to make this easy for everybody. We're going to get rid of all this crazy continuity. And I think in some ways that, like I said, I think that there there is some truth to continuity being tricky or whatever. But, but the difference between saying, like, the next one is going to be the big thing or even if they had done X event or X thing right, it's the next. It could have been great. I mean, I think that when you look back at it, like pre-Flashpoint, you know, we love that era so much because there was Grant Morrison's bat run happening in that era, right? But there was also Judd Winnick's bat run in that era, but we just don't talk about the Judd Winnick stuff because... Yeah, we won't talk about tech now. Exactly. That That's my point, is that I, I think we have less reservation looking back and excluding stuff than we do in the in the present day excluding stuff. Sure. Like, like yeah. the, the argument is, is well, it would be great, but tech. Whereas the argument for pre-Flashpoint is it was great despite Judd Winnick. It mm-hmm. was great despite Superman Grounded. It was great despite Wonder Woman's stupid leather jacket. Like, all of those things <laughs> were not were not the ne- – and think about it. I mean, think, there were major problems with each member of the Trinity at that point. But there was yeah. also other great stuff happening. Yeah, you know, so that that's my point with all this. Sure. Okay. I uh, the one thing that sticks out to me, I think the thing. Okay, here here's what it is. The thing that makes the pre Flashpoint stuff so good to me, that has been missing ever since, even through DCU. I mean, DCU kind of touched on this a little bit, but it was quickly dropped is that you would never have a Red Robin book today. That doesn't happen, you know? Why? If you you cuz we don't. Do we? We don't have a Robin book. We don't have like you wouldn't we don't have an Azrael book. You know, you you will never have those kind of books again. Everything uh, is going to be uh, Batman what? White Knight Curse of the White Knight. That is a Batman book. <laughs> I'm no. sorry. We we all we also we have a Red Hood book. Which we didn't have then. Um, I'm I'm just I'm not, saying look, I, I, I will I will take Red Robin a thousand times out of a thousand over Red Hood. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think that there are different. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe 
Maybe I just misread Robin. How about that? I misread Robin too. I, I've been, I've been thinking. Maybe about I just it. really liked that run, and I'm yeah. always thinking about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm trying not to be. I mean, look, I'm somebody who thinks that the Mets, that the Mets, fucking. I was gonna say, like, I I root for the Mets, right? I root for a team that perpetually is bad, and so I know what it's like to look at every situation. And think like, oh, fuck it, that's not good. Well, that's but not I don't think good. we think. I don't think we think that. I so I don't know. We can, I, there are lots of times when I get that email on Friday from DC that the new books are up, and I look at it, and I'm like, oh, motherfucker. Oh, so this is a you problem. Well, sometimes it is, <laughs> but I think that, and and oftentimes, you know, look. I mean, the other thing is, I I said this today. I, I wrote a. Um, a little blurb for the exclusive preview of uh, Deathstroke number 49. And I said that Deathstroke is the most consistently good book of Rebirth. And then I amended that and I said, or probably the entire decade. And I feel like that's a bold claim to make. Uh, that is DC's best book of the decade. But I thought about it for a couple of minutes and I couldn't think of another run that was as consistently good or innovative or interesting as Deathstroke. But I think we're much less likely to say things like that as they're happening, like I was saying before. And mm-hmm. so this sprung out of that conversation. Here. Okay, well, if this is the if Deathstroke is the best book that DC's done this decade, then what was the best era of DC this decade? And I think that undoubtedly the Rebirth era is better than the like book for book, pound for pound, better than the New 52. I think it's better than the last six months of um, pre-Flashpoint where everything was kind of winding down at its own speed and certain things went unfinished and certain things got rushed and all of that. I think it's better than that. And I think that if you look at a book-by-book basis, it's pretty damn close to the 2010 books we're talking about. And so, okay, if that's the case, if it's as good as that stuff, do I regard it as good as that stuff? And the answer I could come back to is no, I don't. Mm. Why don't I? Okay, well, I don't because I don't have to think about all the shitty books I was buying in 2010 because I've forgotten half of them or yeah. I've sold half of them, whereas this stuff is right in my face. Okay, well, if it's about equal to that era, and I consider that era one of the best eras of DC in my lifetime, is this one of the... I just, you know, I, just, I kept building off of the questions that way, and that's what led mm. me to think about this. Well, I finally get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, who are your guys? What do you mean? I'm, I'm ju- that's a Mark Marin. I know, thing. I know, but um, I was, I was hoping you had a specific, <laughs> like a specific no, set of guys. Or something. No, we're just doing psychology here. Uh, cool. We're getting inside your head. Yeah. Um, I think there's only one way to solve this. What's that? The DC three has to go back and they have to read the five years before <laughs> Flashpoint. <laughs> we'll do that as we listen to every album from 1962 or whatever shit you do when you're not on this podcast. Yeah. That's right, baby. I do think that at the end of the Rebirth era, whatever we decide that end is, I think it will be fun for us to spend a show going like book by book pre-Flashpoint against Rebirth or like Infinite Crisis era against Rebirth and say which books were better. And just kind of 
duke it out with the different eras. Yeah, nah, I would like that. Yeah. And I, I think, like, I have often kicked around in my head the idea that I that I go back and not read everything all over again, but kind of go year by year, era by era, and 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 review what DC was putting out without rereading it and just decide like, okay, these are the books of the new 52 that I looking back on it, I think are essential, you know? Yeah. I've often thought of doing that just as like an exercise, like just to keep dial H out there, you know, just to keep demon Knights out there in the ether. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just to think about that stuff and reflect on like, you know, the new 52 may have been bad, but like, here are 10 books that were really essential during that time. And I, I feel like, I, I think we should do that as like a once rebirth's over, like what you say, you know, and maybe include the new 52 in that as well. Yeah. Patreon content. Patreon content. Well, I, I think we've put Zach to sleep. So that means it's time to, uh, to wrap oh, up. Sorry, Zach. <laughs> wrap up the podcast here no it was a good it was a good conversation i think it was a good conversation i'm sorry it took till the very end for vince to understand what i was trying to say <laughs> but that's okay all right um <laughs> thank you guys for listening uh what do we have coming up next week vince oh uh we have batman and the outsiders batman's grave catwoman collapser uh detective comics Dollhouse Family, one of the uh, Hill House books, right? Hill House books. Event Leviathan Conclusion. Ooh. Far Sector Beginning. Ooh. Yeah. The Flash, uh, Gotham City Monsters, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, Hawkman, House of Whispers, Justice League Odyssey, Metal Men, uh, Superman, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Blackest Night. Now that is one we are all going to because that was our shit. Yes, it was. Um, and Wonder Woman 82, rounding out the the week. Wait. So that's a big week. Oh, my goodness. I did not realize that Far Sector was coming out next week. I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Oh, I hope it's good. It's going to be good, right, guys? Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Uh, well, until then, you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. Oh yeah, Zach is asleep. Yep. <laughs> well, I always think that there's going to be one more, but there's not. Uh, I'm at Walker Fox. <laughs> I know, but uh, I just I still forget. He's waiting yeah. for me to say farmers only. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you need Vince, he is making an arcane list. No one gives a shit about. Just kidding, buddy. You inspired me to list a fucking hundred albums today. You know I'm Wow, wow, wow. Let Zach say his thing. Huh? My thing. You didn't you didn't say it yet, did you? You didn't say Wilkerson. Wilker Fox. Yes, you did. Yeah, I did. Oh, I didn't hear it. Yeah, you were because you were too busy making a list no one gives a shit about. (laughs) Thanks. Well follow follow Zach at Wilker Fox and don't follow Brian. That's all right. That's all right. They already don't. So Okay, thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week. Take care. Oh, man. Rue the day I ever find out that, like, I don't know, uh, 
Shigeru Miyamoto would have voted for Trump if he was American. 